Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. Awesome again to be opening God's Word. We're in a series called Unshaken, Strong uh, in Faith No Matter What. And uh, we have uh, done a lot of teachings already on this, and you can catch all of them on YouTube or by looking at our page. We've got the archives of all of our teachings. And uh, if you're just coming in uh, for the first time, that's okay. You don't need to have, have seen the old videos to know what we're going to be talking about because every week is a new theme. And so uh, this week uh, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of one of my favorite people in Scripture. Scripture, he was probably the greatest king that Israel has ever had. His name, of course, is David. And if you know me by now and know my style of teaching, I love studying characters, uh, people in the Bible whose lives just shout of our need for God and God's goodness for us. And David is just, just a just a phenomenal man of God. In fact, he was called a man after God's own heart. And so uh, we're going to sort of get a feel for him today. I call today's teaching, which is, by the way, episode 12 or lesson 12 from 1 Samuel chapter 16. I've called it Unshaken When I Feel Invisible and Forgotten. Unshaken When I Feel Invisible and Forgotten. And um, man, so many of us right now might connect with that. Uh, we're going to see how David's life started, and he was very much invisible and felt forgotten. We'll get into the text in a minute, but just want to talk to you watching right now. Um, maybe a few months ago, you felt like you were going somewhere. Maybe a few months ago, you felt like your life made sense, and you had goals and dreams and vision, and then boom, everything that you've been working on sort of fallen through the wayside. Some of you may have had jobs that now no longer exist. Maybe relationships that look very different now than they did before. I, I just think about so many things in my life that were just starting to take shape and then this like obstacle. And in this COVID season, it is so easy to feel isolated. Everybody's talking sort of about the isolation. And, and even in the context of getting back into socializing, it just feels different. And so this idea that in it, we might feel forgotten by God or invisible to God or to other people. Maybe we might, you might be aware that you, you know, intellectually understand that God sees you wherever you are, but, but, but you feel emotionally like maybe, maybe, does anyone know what's happening in my life right now? And I think you're going to be encouraged by the teaching today. So I want to make us uh, sort of bring us up to speed where we are in 1 Samuel 16. I think it's important to get some context as we look at God's word. We have really gotten to know the people of Israel, uh, the 
started a few weeks ago, talked about uh, the call of Abraham and then his sons and sort of made our way through Moses and Joshua and then it's hit the judges. The judges, just a fascinating place in scripture. It looked at uh, the life of Gideon, who was just a, an unlikely candidate to be a hero. And then Samson, who was just a mess of a man last week, but God used him mightily nonetheless. And then we uh, initially had planned to teach in Ruth and I skipped Ruth because we'd recently taught on Ruth. So if you're dying to look at the life of Ruth and Naomi, I think we did an entire teaching on that recently. We can send that to you. And so, um, and the book of Ruth is sort of snuck in there between the judges and then we get into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And so we're hitting sort of a new stride uh, and I'm not teaching on the first king of Israel who you can type in the name if you know, King Saul. So, so and, and, and I think it's relevant to even where we're going tonight to sort of read a little bit about how it came to be that the people of Israel went from judges to kings. So they're in this dark season, they're doing what everybody's doing, whatever in the world they wanna do, and things are not going great for them most of the time. In fact, the book of Judges ends with a very sad sort of state of affairs. And then you come to 1 Samuel chapter eight. Now we're leading up to 16, but you know me by now. You know, I like to sort of bring you up to speed on where we're going with the big picture of scripture and in first samuel chapter 8 it says when samuel became old and samuel was the uh, last of the judges uh, the first of the prophets of uh, the the people of of israel and just a very respected uh, man of god and and who who god had clearly anointed and uh, uh, we love samuel in my household you know that my nephew samuel is uh, uh, just a, a, an immensely godly man and, and I pray that he takes after this man who was just such a light in the middle of a dark season in, in in the life of the people of israel and so samuel became old as all of us will at some point and he made his sons judges over israel sadly samuel's kids were not very um, very reputable. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. The name of the second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. And it says in 1 Samuel 8, 3, his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. How, how tempting is that? Godly parents, the kids don't follow the same ways of God because they're looking for, in this case, they call after gain. They want material good. And, and, and I think sometimes those little tidbits are put in scripture really to encourage us. It's so much condemnation sometimes. If I don't have kids, but if you have kids and you watch the way that your kids go, and you go, man, I gave them everything. I taught them everything. And how did that turn out? And just a reminder that every human has a personal responsibility to answer to the things they're taught. And some will follow after the ways of the Lord and by God's grace, God will uh, effectively work in the hearts of all of your children. That is our prayer for your children. But again, godly man Samuel, his kids not following the same ways. Uh, nonetheless, God still uses Samuel and mightily. And so uh, it says in 1 Samuel 8 verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. That was their goal. They no longer wanted to be distinctive. They did not want to serve the one true God who had gotten them out of Egypt and led them into the promised land. They forgot that God. They were quick to forget that God. And so here they, they come to him and say, choose us. We want a king because we want to be like everybody else. A bad formula. All right. And so Samuel's grieved about it. It says the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So God is well aware of the intents of our hearts. He sees where this is going. But remember, the story of redemption is not for one generation. It is a story that started back even pre-Adam and Eve. Um, 
but moves through this story of scripture and we're going somewhere. We're going to the New Testament, to the life of Jesus. But in it, we see the sad chapter where the people of Israel no longer want God to rule them. And they uh, are given sort of the, here's what, how this will look like. They said, we want it nonetheless. And they go and find a handsome, solid, you know, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, whatever kind of guy you want, just sort of nothing wrong with this guy on the outside. In fact, we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 9 that Saul, who was chosen to be the first king, who is the son of Benjamin, it says that um, the, he was the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That's who they wanted to be king. They wanted someone who looked the part and how common of a story that we are deluded by what we see in the eyes. So they go through this King Saul and things are not good with Saul and they go from okay to bad to worse. And so as you make your way through the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, you learn about Saul and he starts off sort of okay. He's humble and, and sort of like, you know, self, you know, like me, I can't believe they chose me. He's hiding in the bags when they come to bring him to be the king. And anyway, it goes from bad to, to he just gets impatient in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13, leading into 14 and then 15. He refuses to wait on God. He burns, you know, the sacrifice instead of waiting for Samuel to come and, and he chooses his way over God's way of doing things. And the end of that is disastrous for Saul. God removes the blessing from Saul and, and, and it is, it's, it's bad news for him. And so here's Samuel, where we're going with this. You might be thinking, why are we spending time on this? Well, because it's relevant. And so here's Samuel who has chosen Saul, who looks great and he thinks, man, okay, fine. God has agreed to have a king. Things are gonna go well with the people of Israel. But instead of things going well now, Saul is a bust. And, um, and so Samuel gives that news to Saul and and, 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 and then in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, verse 34, it says, Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. So they split after this bad news. Saul, you're no longer going to be the anointed one. God is raising somebody else to come, somebody who is a man after God's own heart. So God has already chosen the person who's going to be the king, but, but we don't know who he is yet. But Samuel's still a little bent about it. He's a little upset. Here he had picked this guy yet thought that things were going to work out one way and they're not looking that way. And so Samuel in verse 35, towards the end of chapter 15, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. Have you ever been in that place where we, you thought God was going to work things out a certain way and, and you prayed for it and you expected God to do something and it looked like God was doing this thing and then it didn't turn out like you thought. And there's grief, there's loss. This season, for some of you, it feels like that. There's grief. And so you can't minimize what Samuel was feeling. And for a while, God lets him lament and grieve and feel bad for it. And the Lord says, regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And so for chapter 16, we're moving into the meat here. The Lord says to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? God is still very much involved in the details of the affairs of his people. You might, it might look like he's left the, the, the scene. It might look like things are falling apart where we thought they were going to look a certain way. It might look like things are out of control, but never for a minute is anything outside of the control of God Almighty. And so, and so God, you sort of get the sense he shakes Samuel up and like, Samuel, buddy, like time to stop grieving. There's more coming down the pike. In fact, I jotted this general thought, God will never allow his work to die with the death or failure of a man. 
God is not paralyzed by our failure. God is not paralyzed by leaders who fall to scandal. We are reading every week now of leaders who started off good and fell off the wayside. You go, well, what, what happened? Is the church to be trusted? Are leaders to be trusted? And we panic and we scratch our heads. And people who used to believe one thing now want to live a different lifestyle. And it's so easy to get so caught up in it. And yet God and his program, his kingdom, his rule is not hindered. God will never allow his work to die with the death or failure of a man and there's such hope in that and whether you see clearly now how things are going to play out just hang on to that for a minute and so here's the Lord he's already he's already like down the path we Samuel's not there yet in fact David's not there yet but God has already seen what's going to happen here and so he he reminds Samuel Samuel your story's not done you're still alive there's more you're going to do and so he sends him to anoint a new king over Israel and so, so he says to him, fill your horn with oil. We're now in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Hopefully you read this chapter. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided now. Remember the first king. Why did I read chapter 8? Because it said in it, the people of Israel wanted a king for themselves. Now God makes the distinction. He said to Samuel, now go, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So now we're getting God's choice. And God has has already picked out this king and he sends Samuel. And so Samuel's a little nervous because he says to him, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, which he was doing. This was not a lie. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. So by faith, Samuel obeys God. He puts himself at risk because he doesn't know what's going to happen, but he's trusting God's guidance now. And he makes his way to Bethlehem. By the way, David is a man after God's own heart. There's so many things about David's life that are redemptive. And of course, who else was born in Bethlehem so many years down the road? Well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I think that's kind of cool. And remember when you you hear about Jesus and, and now and studying the life of David for the next couple of weeks, we're going to see, you know, Jesus was called the son of David over and over in scripture. He wasn't called the son of Abraham even ever, but the son of David. And so it's, it's kind of cool because here God has this choice. He's got this man he's picked out. He is born in, out of the, the house of Bethlehem. He's born in that area. And so he goes, Samuel uh, did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And so he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So there's this man, Jesse, and he's got eight sons, eight, all right? God help him. My sister has three boys, and I see what she goes through day after day, and I think that man's hands were full. And so when they came in verse 6, Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, this is, if you, um, you're going to love this verse. If you've heard it before, then I know, I know you know where this is going, and I know you love it. I love this verse. For any teenage girl who will ever watch this teaching, I mean, for any person who's ever gone through any sort of insecurities, and I top that list of people. I know you sometimes assume things about people, but how many of us have struggled with how we look and whether we're enough? And, and here, this verse that is such a great quotable for any high schooler and young adult and, and middle-aged person. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. And here it is. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, I, the Lord has not chosen these. So this family is like, man, what are we wasting our time here? Like, right? And so Samuel says to the Jesse, Jesse's done. Like he brings the seven sons and in his mind, he's done. He doesn't even think of the eighth boy because he's the youngest and he's not even there. So they're all, I mean, again, pause for a minute. They're having a party. There's a big happening. Everybody's there except this kid. And now seven sons pass and, and, and they're just about done. So Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. In other words, he's not important enough to be here. You don't want to mess with him. He's out somewhere running after sheep. He's the least important in his family. Uh, in fact, we didn't even notice he wasn't here. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord, this is huge, the spirit of the Lord that had been removed from Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord rushes upon David from that day forward. And Samuel leaves. Say, man, how do you stand unshaken when you feel invisible or forgotten? You got to wonder, I mean, Samuel, David is a young boy that thought to be between 10 to 15 years of age at this time. And, and you, you, you got to wonder what's going on through his head. Did he know what was happening in the house? I mean, had he heard rumors that Samuel was there, they were having a feast, and did he feel bad about it? We don't know. We know that he spent those years watching sheep, learning about sheep, writing worship songs, singing unto the Lord. That is all we know about him. But here's what we learn. I'm going to give you three teaching points here. Number one, you don't have to be seen by man to be marked by God. You don't have to be seen by man to be marked by God. If there's ever a day where we need to understand and believe and hang on to this message, it is now. We are living under this illusion. I'm telling you, I'm speaking to myself right now. We are living under this illusion that if enough people notice what we're doing, then our life will make sense. And yet the life of David and how this starts out is a classic example that God sees what man does not see. That, that your life and your future and your purpose and your calling and your giftedness and what you will accomplish in this life does not depend on whether people in your Facebook group or your Twitter world or your Instagram like your pictures enough. It doesn't matter what they think of you. They might be fooled by your outside. They might look at you, but maybe he's not handsome enough. She's not talented enough, but God sees what they do not see. God looks at the heart. I need that message today. Hey, because I'm telling you, we are, have become addicted to this idea, even in the church, especially in the church, that the person who matters is the person that everybody likes. So many of us are wasting our life assuming that God has nothing for us because no one has noticed us. And yet I think about, I jotted down some subpoints here, the measure of a man is always, scripturally always, the measure of a man is developed in anonymity. And I don't mean just men, the measure of men and women developed in anonymity. I think about the lives that we've studied. Abraham, God picks out of the blue. You go, what was he doing before? We don't know. Moses, man, 40 years in the wilderness, no one thought about the man, hardly. 
You, you look at even Jacob, he gets thrown away from home and he develops of a man, he becomes a mature man of God when he's away alone anonymously. You look at others, you look at Joseph, who, whose entire growing up years happens when he's hidden in the hiding place. You look at no further than the very savior that we serve. Man, 30 years of his life, no one talked about him. We have one story of scripture after he, he, he's born, and he's got a couple stories. We've got one when he gets anointed and consecrated as a baby, and then you've got one other story when he's 12 years old and he goes to the temple to teach and nothing for those years until age 30 when the spirit of God rushes on him and his ministry starts you see man didn't the people see them these men and women there are others Mordecai Esther you name you go down the list of men and women mightily used by God whose very lives developed in anonymity the faith not just a measure of men but the faith of a man is tested and developed and grown in anonymity. That is where, it is when nobody's watching in the hidden places that you can grow in faith. I was just Googling right before we started here, some of the, the timeline of the Psalms. And you look at the early Psalms that David wrote. And, and when you kind of, there's, there's different timelines. And some of the early ones are Psalms 8 and Psalms 19 and Psalms 39. You go, how did David become a man after God's heart? Well, because in those hidden years, he was learning who God is. He was actually becoming strong in faith. Next week, we're going to look at a story of David Goliath. We're going to see a glimmer of what he did during those years, things that nobody saw. What if David had counted himself out? So the measure of man is developed in anonymity. The faith of a man is tested and formed and grown in anonymity. And the identity of a man is formed when you're anonymous. Who am I? It's a big question. Everybody wants to answer Man, everybody now has that messaging. Man, you be you. Every one of us can do whatever they want to do. You, you just decide who you want to be and you be you. And I'm telling you, I've got posters in my house that I bought at Target that say these messages. And then when you really think about it, it is when no one sees you, when you don't even know who you are, that you've got to determine, man, who am I going to be? And I'm going to tell you exactly how David figured out who he was. It's simple. He learned who his God was. You say, how do you know that? You go back to those Psalms that he wrote early on. In fact, when he first showed up to, to, to King Saul, just after where I've stopped reading, he's called to play worship music for Saul. And some of those early chapters that he wrote is Psalm chapter 8, which is probably one of the most recorded. Uh, it is one of the quoted chapters that Jesus quoted from the Psalms. And by the way, where he talks, he says, Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You say, what? How did David know who he was as a young man? Rather than looking at himself and going, man, I'm no one. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. He understood who he was because he understood who his God was. So his vision was not on himself. His eyes were on the Lord. And so as he saw this world around him, he spoke things like, yet you have made him speaking to God. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? You be you, and I don't even know who I am. It doesn't matter if you know who you are. You need to know who God is. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hand. We are who we are because of who God is. I think it was A.W. Tozer that says, you can tell a lot about a man, not a direct quote, but by, by, by his knowledge of God. He wrote this book, The Knowledge of the Holy One. And, 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 and this concept, just this week, we were talking about... Um, 
toward a man who died, J.I. Packer, if you've been following evangelical news at all, you know that one of the greatest theologians of modern time, I've downloaded every one of his books this week. I, I've had Knowing God, it's been a while since I read it. I've restarted reading it and, and this concept, why did J.I. Packer, I don't know anything about him, but I know what kind of man he was by the kind of book he wrote. So I don't know, I could tell you, J.I. Packer was not a very handsome man. I mean, he was a distinguished looking English old professor, but I can tell you that he was a man after God's own heart. How? Because he wrote about who God is. Because he was so secure and steadfast and solid and unshaken in his knowledge of God his whole life. He lives faithfully till 90 some years, unshaken, though many would say, J.I. who? An entire generation might be unfamiliar with his works. Unseen, invisible, forgotten. But we read about him a lot this week because he was a man who knew his God. And this is not a flavor, you know, we tend to think of people, well, it's your decade, you're a flash in the pan now, you're famous now, you're, people see you, you make the most of it. You need to publish 10 books now because everybody knows who you are. Listen, J.I. Packer stood this test of time over decades of his life because he knew who his God was. He wrote that book, Knowing God. If you want a great read this week, you download the book and you start reading it. It is written in a simple way for us to understand who our God is because as you secure yourself in that knowledge, you're free to be the person that God has created you to be and you're not concerned about whether people see you because you've been marked by God. So here's David who's out tending sheep. He could have thought, man, my life, my potential is gone. My, my opportunity is lost. What I thought was going to happen isn't happening. I'm not even sure how I'm going to form my future, but God had marked him and God was going to get him. And so here's point number two. First, you don't have to be seen by man to be marked by God. Number two, you don't have to perform great things in the world to accomplish great things for God. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me say that again. In that moment when David was chosen to be king, he had accomplished nothing worthy of writing about. He was tending sheep. Shepherds were thought to be dirty. They managed the sheep. There was nothing special about the people who guarded sheep. In fact, in Jesus' day, they were considered less than, because again, they were not even clean enough to go offer sacrifices. And so that was why when Jesus was born, the shepherds were out. They were not where people were. They were set apart because of their dirt. They were not considered clean. And so here's David who's doing nothing. He's wasting his time for all it's for all purposes, intents and purposes. And, 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 and yet God doesn't ask us, he doesn't use us because we accomplish great things for him. He uses us, he, he chooses us in order for us to accomplish great things for him. He's the one who gives us the power to accomplish great things for him. It is not our resume that causes us to be chosen in the eyes of God. And so you see this young lad who's done nothing but guard some sheep. But God is about to choose him to become the greatest king of Israel. See, God isn't looking for your ability, but for your availability. If you're grown in the 80s, you've heard this sentence before. We all have. God doesn't care about your ability. He can work with someone who doesn't feel qualified enough. He can work with you as long as you're available. Here I am, Lord, send me. That is all he asks of you to do. You can be, but, but you don't understand. I've done nothing for God. Uh, stand in line, in line of a number of people who didn't do anything for God and yet were used mightily by God to change the world. You think about Jesus himself, our very Savior. 
think about it from a human perspective. He never got a college education. He never built a home that we know of. He never, certainly never settled in a home. He never wrote a book. He had 12 followers, all of whom left him by the time of his death. God doesn't need us to function like the system of this world in order for him to use us in his kingdom. And while David does accomplish great things in his life for God, his, his, his checkpoint, what God was looking for at the beginning of the story is his availability. David, are you willing? I don't, God, I don't, God, God's perspective, I don't care what, whether people see you, are you willing? And David was willing. So God does not use us because of what we bring to the table, but because or based on how much we allow him to work through us. That is called yieldedness. Yieldedness is coming to God with open hands. God, here's, here's all I have. I give it to you. It's like the little boy with the fish and the bread. See, man, it's nothing. What are we going to do with this? Can you picture a little seven, eight-year-old kid with a bag of fish? None of us would come near that kid. I mean, I mean, like the smell itself would make you want to puke. What did he do? He brought it to Jesus. And in the hands of Jesus, those pieces of bread mangled, crumbly, dry, humid, they turned into feeding the greatest miracle, probably one of the greatest miracles of the New Testament. God doesn't use us because of what we bring to the table, but based on how much we allow him to work through us. See, God is more interested in our hearts than in our actions. You can tell, you go, how, do, how can I tell, man? How, how can I tell where my heart is? Just some thoughts for you. Who are you when no one is watching? Jot down those questions. Who am I when no one's watching? What kind of decisions do you make? What comes out of your mouth when you're pressed? Do you know, like when the pressure's on, what overflows in your mouth? Typically, that'll give you an idea of what your heart is like. And so what you meditate on in those seasons when you're alone, when you're, when you're being developed, if you're constantly thinking, man, I'm up to, nothing good's gonna happen in my life. God doesn't care about me. I'm such a disappointment in my life. If you're constantly reeling that, that record of negativity, then what's gonna come out of your mouth is gonna be grumbling and complaining. But if your eyes are fixed on the heavens and glorifying God for all that he's given you, praising God for the things that he's allowed you in life, maybe learning the sheep, maybe writing Psalm 23, which has become the greatest psalm of all times, maybe then what comes out of your mouth is naturally joyous. So, so how can you tell what your heart is like? Who are you when no one's watching? What comes out of your mouth when you're pressed? Here's another question. Where do you turn when you're overwhelmed? Where do you turn to get comfort when you're overwhelmed? That's a convicting question for many of us. Our new Bible is called Netflix version. And we give ourselves some slack if we watch Christian stuff on it. But listen, why aren't we finding comfort in this book when we're overwhelmed? Why aren't we meditating on the things of God? You want to tell, where's my heart, God? Answer between you and God. Ask these questions honestly, God. God, where do I turn when I'm overwhelmed? Do you go to the gym? Do you need to punch something? Here's another question. What makes you happy? Do you want to know where your heart is at? What is it that you think will make you happy? Is it money? Is it marriage? Is it, is it sex? Is it success? Is it stuff? Is it fame? Is it, what is it that you think, if I have this, I'll be so happy? 
You don't have to perform great things in the world to accomplish great things for God. God is more interested in your heart than in your actions. I love what Oswald Chambers has said about this. The measure of the worth of our public activity for God is the private, profound communion we have with him. The secret to David being a man after God's own heart was not his public activity for God. It was that he had deep, private, profound communion with God. The measure of the worth of our public activity for God is the private, profound communion we have with God. My camp counselors when I was growing up and my camp director used to say it this way. You worry about the depth of your relationship with God and let God worry about the breadth of your impact for him. If there's ever a life in scripture that has demonstrated this, it is the life of David. So you don't have to be seen by man to be marked by God. We're talking about being unshaken when I feel invisible and forgotten. You don't have to perform great things in the world to accomplish great things for God. And lastly, this is an empowering one, all right? You don't have to leave your present place to fulfill your future calling. You don't have to leave your present place to fulfill your future calling. We have this idea in the world that, man, okay, okay, God's called me to something. He's anointed me. Let me go. Let me go. Like, like it's like your horse ready to race and you're, you're leaning forward and you're like, who's stopping me? Like you're ready to bolt. And you want to know what happened to David after he's anointed by God? Uh, Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. He leaves him. I imagine that Samuel went back out. uh, I'm sorry. David went back out and took care of the sheep. (laughs) I really do. I think the sheep needed to be tended to. And I don't think the seven brothers were going to go help him out because I think they needed to deal with some stuff in their heart. And we'll see that stuff come out in the next chapter next week. But for now, David's anointed in front of everybody. He knows maybe a little bit what's happening. The brothers know what's happening. It's just sort of all coming into, you know, it's sort of like this, this vague you know, picture that's, if you, ever have, if you have an iPhone, you ever try to take a picture, it looks vague. And then it gets like, it focuses on, on and then it's, 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 crisp and and so the picture is getting crisp and and as it gets crisp uh samuel up and leaves and david stays and he now knows he's anointed to be the next king and his next job on his chore list is to go take care of the sheep so he does that for a while but you see god's timing is perfect and god is setting things up even when you're living anonymously even when you're living in the hidden places god is setting things up that you can't even imagine And so in the middle of this, after some time, we don't know, it says, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. The lyre is like a guitar. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So you say, how is a shepherd boy going to become the next king? How is he going to get training? How is he going to rub shoulders with those people? Well, God's got it covered because though David has not accomplished great things in his life so far, he has learned one thing and it is going to be this key to getting him into this next phase of his life. He knows how to worship. And so Saul says to his servants in verse 17, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. He doesn't look for a warrior. He doesn't look for a statesman. He doesn't look for a diplomat. He looks for a worship leader. Say, how does a worship leader become a king? Well, God brings him into the presence of a king. And 
and trains him there. And so one of the young men answers, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. So how much time had passed from when he was young to now? I don't know. But and he says, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And, and Jesse sends him. He says, He took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David with his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly. If you know much about the story of David and Saul, it's a very complicated relationship. And we're going to get into some of that in the next couple of weeks. It's a fascinating study of humanity and human nature and how God works despite difficult relationships. And, and Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hands. So Saul was refreshed. And was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. You see how God set things up? And you say, I'm invisible, I'm forgotten. I don't know how God is going to put me back on track in the things that I thought he was going to do in my life pre-COVID. You had these dreams, you had these ideas. Some of you have kids who are entering college, and they go, man, I, didn't, I don't know how this is going to play out. And there's panic, and there's fear, and there's anxiety in our life, and we want to control it. And it, it's easy to get so caught up in this conversation with ourselves and being like, God, what's happening here? It's so confusing, and yet God would quiet us down with his love, even in his teaching, to remind us that we don't have to leave our present place to fulfill our future calling. You got a guitar, you learn to play it. You like to write, you start writing. You're a sheep tender, you work on the sheep. You're a bow and arrow person. You work on the thing that God has gifted you to do right where you are, and you let God set up the next step. That's how it works in the kingdom of God. See, God will strategically place you where he strategically needs you. God will intentionally prepare you for what he intentionally has prepared for you. And God will divinely anoint you wherever your heart is availed to him. And so whether he's in the sheepfold, whether he's at the, at the foot of the king playing worship songs, and later we're going to see David as a warrior, God had anointed him and God's timing perfectly worked out in his life so that when he needed him, David was ready. He, he, he was ready when he was with the sheep and God showed up. And he was ready when he was called to go play the guitar. And he was ready later to go and fight and, and win battles. And eventually he was ready to be the greatest king of the people of Israel. Waiting time is training time. Where are you at in this process as we wrap this up for tonight? Do you feel invisible and forgotten? Do you feel like people don't see all of the things that you could offer this world? Perhaps you're so, so discouraged by the outside. We're living in a culture that feeds us. If you're not enough externally, if you're not pretty enough, your hair's not good enough, your body's not good enough, your muscles aren't big enough, your wallet's not thick enough, man, we make our way down the list and we count ourselves out and yet we don't need to be seen by man to be marked by God. God sees the inside. How's your heart right now? Are you living for God? Are you available to God? And will you stand unshaken knowing that God has a perfect plan and that nothing and no one can ever stand against his purposes. And if there's ever been an encouraging message for us today in this era of COVID, it is this one. So I pray God will reignite his dreams in your life and give you the hope that only he can give. Do you know that David is mentioned more than a thousand times 
in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible. He's mentioned more than any one man in the New Testament. And this guy starts off in a field as nobody. Jesus, I told you at the beginning in Matthew 9, 27, is listed as the son of David. This man would turn out to accomplish much for God, but it had less to do with who he was and everything to do with what God had planned to do through him. That's the kind of life I wanna live. I wanna be a woman after God's own heart. If you're a man watching this, you're a man after God's own heart. And women, as you're watching this as well, the word, uh, the, the challenge for us today is to submit to whatever it is that God has for us. And so uh, we're going to move now into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask that God would reignite those dreams and callings in our life and give us the endurance, the focus, the vision, to use the season to learn who He is. That's my goal in this season. God, who are you? Take the challenge with me. Get that book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and start reading it with me. I believe that book can help us develop a high view of who God is and reignite our faith in the only true and living God who is able to get us through all of the darkness that we're going through right now. Are you in? Will you do it? <laughs>